Greetings and welcome to Stars and Stuff, the astronomy podcast brought to you by me, Richard J. Bartlett. In this episode, I'll talk about the latest astronomical news, review the visibility of the planets for the first 10 days of the month, and then talk about the life and predicted death of Jupiter's great red spot. As we enter the last month of 2019, I find myself in a little bit of a lull, creatively. Next year's guides are all published and are selling reasonably well. I'll start on the guides for 2021 sometime toward the end of the first quarter of next year, but in the meantime, I'm trying to get a labour of love finished. I'm still, after about two years, trying to complete a book called Stargazer. Based around the music of Bangalis, it's a series of essays about astronomy, the universe and our place in it. I still have a few essays to write, but before I do that, I'm proofreading what I've already written. This book has taken me a way too long to write. It should have been published by now, but in the time since I started it, I've been distracted with other projects and my annual guides always take precedence. Unfortunately, while I have the willpower to sit down almost every night and write, I sometimes have the creative attention span of a squirrel. If a book is not finished within two months, I'll often put it to one side and start working on something else. Plus, I've been writing for others over the past 12 months as well, which has caused me to delay my own writing. Part of the problem is that I just don't know if it will sell. Not that it stopped me before, but I don't know who, if anyone, will be interested in reading it. It might do well, or it might not. Only time will tell. My son was two when I started to write the book. He's now nearly four. Hopefully it will be published by spring of next year. Maybe. Or as my son likes to say, maybe, maybe not. I'll settle for a definite maybe right now. Storms are common on Mars, but every decade or so, something unpredictable happens. A series of runaway storms breaks out, covering the entire planet in a dusty haze. Last year, a fleet of NASA spacecraft got a detailed look at the life cycle of the 2018 global dust storm that ended the Opportunity rover's mission. And while scientists are still puzzling over the data, Two papers recently shed new light on a phenomenon observed within the storm. Dust towers, or concentrated clouds of dust that warm in the sunlight and rise high into the air. Dust towers are massive, churning clouds that are denser and climb much higher than the normal background dust in the thin Martian atmosphere. While they also occur under normal conditions, the towers appear to form in greater numbers during global storms. A tower starts at the planet's surface as an area of rapidly lifted dust about as wide as the state of Rhode Island. By the time a tower reaches a height of 50 miles, or 80 kilometers, as seen during the 2018 global dust storm, it may be as wide as Nevada. As the tower decays, it can form a layer of dust 36 miles, or about 56 kilometers, above the surface that can be wider than the continental United States. Scientists think that dust-trapped water vapor may be riding them like an elevator to space, where solar radiation breaks apart their molecules. This might help explain how Mars' water disappeared over billions of years. Black holes are famous for ripping objects apart, including stars, but now astronomers have uncovered a black hole that may have sparked the births of stars over a mind-boggling distance and across multiple galaxies. If confirmed, this discovery would represent the widest reach ever seen for a black hole acting as a stellar kickstarter. The black hole seems to have enhanced star formation more than 1 million light years away. A black hole is an extremely dense object from which no light can escape. 
Black holes immense gravity pulls in surrounding gas and dust, but particles from a small amount of that material can also get catapulted away at nearly little the speed of light. These fast-moving particles form two narrow beams or jets near the poles of the black hole. The supermassive black hole is located in the center of a galaxy about 9.9 .9 billion light-years from Earth. This galaxy has at least seven neighboring galaxies. Scientists had previously detected radio wave emissions from a jet of high-energy particles that is about a million light-years long. The jet can be traced back to the supermassive black hole, which has also been confirmed as a powerful source of X-rays produced by hot gas swirling around the black hole. Scientists had also detected a, a diffuse cloud of X-ray emissions surrounding one end of the radio jet. This X-ray emission is most likely the form of a gigantic bubble of hot gas heated by the interaction of the energetic particles in the radio jet with surrounding matter. As the hot bubble expanded and swept through four neighboring galaxies, it could have created a shock wave that compressed cool gas in the galaxies, causing stars to form. All four galaxies are approximately the same distance, about 400,000 light years from the center of the bubble. The estimated star formation rate is between two to five times higher than typical galaxies with smaller masses and distance from Earth. Lastly, staying with black holes, there's a fascinating new theory that says there could be thousands of planets to be found orbiting a supermassive black hole. According to the latest theories, planets are formed from fluffy dust aggregates in a protoplanetary disk around a young star. But young stars are not the only objects that possess disks. In a novel approach, the researchers focused on heavy disks around supermassive black holes in the nuclei of galaxies. Their calculations showed that tens of thousands of planets with ten times the mass of the Earth could be formed around ten light years from a black hole. Some supermassive black holes have large amounts of matter around them in the form of a heavy, dense disk. A disk can contain as much as a hundred thousand times the mass of the Sun worth of dust. This is a billion times the dust mass of a protoplanetary disk. In a low-temperature region of a protoplanetary disk, dust grains with ice mantles stick together and evolve into fluffy aggregates. A dust disk around a black hole is so dense that the intense radiation from the central region is blocked and low temperature regions are formed. The researchers applied the planet formation theory to circumnuclear disks and found that planets could be formed in several hundred million years. Unfortunately, there are no uh, current techniques to detect these planets around black holes. However, the researchers expect this study to open up a new field of astronomy. It's a quiet start to the month, with only the two faintest planets, Uranus and Neptune, being visible throughout the night. Jupiter is now all but lost within the glare of the Sun. Depending upon your location, you might still be able to glimpse it in the twilight, but it sets just an hour after the Sun and will be hard to find unless you have a very clear view of the southwestern horizon. Venus, on the other hand, is now unmistakable. It appears as a brilliant white star in the early evening and sets about two hours after the Sun. After passing Jupiter on November 24th, it's now slowly edging towards Saturn. Keep watching as it appears close to that ringed planet on the evening of the 10th. Saturn itself sets about two and a half hours after the Sun, but it's probably too low for any worthwhile telescopic observation. When its sister planet Venus passes by on the 10th, a gap of 1.8 degrees will separate them, making the pair a pleasing sight through binoculars. As noted earlier, Uranus and Neptune are still well placed for observation, with Neptune rising first. It appears due south at around 6.30pm and sets around midnight. 
Uranus is due south at around 9.15pm and sets at approximately 4.15am. Lastly there's Mars and Mercury. Both are visible in the pre-dawn sky with Mars rising a little more than 3 hours before the Sun. It's left the constellation of Virgo, the Virgin, and is now moving through the faint stars of Libra, the Scales. It's approaching Alpha Libri, a wide double star, and will pass by it on the 11th and 12th of December. If you live in the United States, you'll find that Mercury is rising about 90 minutes before the Sun. However, if you live in Canada or the United Kingdom, you'll, fly, you'll find the planet rising an extra 30 minutes earlier. Regardless of your location, if you want to try your luck, look toward the southeast about an hour or 75 minutes before sunrise. The tiny planet will appear as a pinkish white star above the southeastern horizon. And what about the moon? It reaches first quarter on the 4th, but it doesn't appear close to any bright stars or planets during the first 10 days of the month. It'll pass by Aldebaran, the red eye of Taurus the bull, on the 11th, before turning full on the 12th. Ask anyone to name the perfect storm and they'll probably tell you Katrina, or maybe Andrew. Almost everyone remembers the devastation that Katrina brought to New Orleans while many will also recall the damage caused to Florida by Andrew in 1992. These storms lasted for days, while well, Andrew lasted for two weeks, but both had wind speeds of 175 miles per hour making them incredibly dangerous. But what if there was a storm that lasted for centuries with wind speeds of nearly 270 miles per hour? What if that storm covered nearly 10% of the Earth's surface? It sounds like a nightmare scenario, but that's exactly what Jupiter has. Even many non-astronomers have heard of the Great Red Spot, an enormous anti-cyclonic storm that's rampaged through Jupiter's atmosphere for nearly 200 years. Large enough to swallow the entire Earth, it's been in the astronomical headlines recently, as news of its impending demise seem to have been greatly exaggerated. Nobody knows for sure how long the Great Red Spot has tormented Jupiter. We don't even know for sure who first saw it, but the first confirmed observations date back to the 1830s. Prior to that time, astronomers had noted spots in Jupiter's atmosphere, but they could have been different storms altogether. For example, it was originally believed that the British astronomer Robert Hooke was the first to observe the storm in 1664, but the storm he recorded was in the northern hemisphere of the planet, whereas the Great Red Spot has always been observed south of Jupiter's equator. Other observers had also reported spots, but none had been conclusively proven to be our favourite Jovian storm. So what were they? It's possible they were temporary storms that formed, existed for a relatively short period of time and then dissipated. This isn't a unique phenomenon among the giant planets. In August 1989, the Voyager 2 space probe flew past the distant ice giant Neptune. As it approached, it imaged a large, dark blue oval feature that appeared to swirl its way across the planet's disk. Nicknamed the Great Dark Spot, it came as a welcome surprise to scientists who were expecting a bland, featureless atmosphere similar to Uranus. Like Jupiter's Great Red Spot, the Great Dark Spot appeared in the southern hemisphere of the planet, but had wind speeds reaching a staggering 1,300 miles per hour. Despite the storm's ferocity, Neptune's spot didn't share the longevity of its larger cousin. Five years later, when Hubble turned its attention toward the distant planet, it found no trace of the storm. A little over 20 years later, in 2016, Hubble found another storm in Neptune's atmosphere, but this time in the northern hemisphere. If spots and storms can come and go on Neptune, could the same thing happen on Jupiter? Will the Great Red Spot eventually dissipate, only to be replaced by another storm? It's possible. The Great Red Spot appears to have both waxed and waned over the centuries. 
during the late 19th century, the spot stretched for nearly 34 degrees across the face of the planet, giving it a diameter of roughly 25,000 miles. In comparison, the Earth is 7,900 miles in diameter. By 1920, it had swollen to 40 degrees, but from 1927 to 1943, it varied in size from 21 to 30 degrees. In the mid-1950s, it had grown again to nearly 34 degrees. The spot, it seemed, was not consistent, except that, as the years went by, it appeared to be gradually shrinking. By 2004, the spot had shrunk to just 12,500 miles in diameter, or roughly half the size it had been in the 1950s, but as it shrunk in width, it appeared to widen in breadth. In other words, it was becoming less of an oval and more of a circle. Some estimated that the spot would become completely circular by 2040. Fast forward to 2019, when other stories began to appear that the storm would disappear completely within the next 20 years. In May, NASA released images from its orbiting Juno spacecraft that appeared to show the spot unraveling, with flakes apparently breaking away and becoming absorbed by the surrounding atmosphere. It seemed as though time was running out for everyone's favourite atmospheric feature. I counted myself lucky that, after decades of trying, I had finally been able to see the spot for myself. It was February 14, 2015, just eight days after the planet had reached opposition and was therefore visible almost all night. Shining brilliantly in the constellation of Cancer, the planet was at its biggest and brightest for the year. At nearly 11.30 at night, with the help of a blue filter, I glimpsed the spot towards the limb of the planet. Despite several attempts since that night, I have yet to see the spot again. But maybe there's still time. Now, just five months after the doomsayers were predicting the death of the storm, stories are now emerging that the spot has plenty of life left within it. The flaking, it's thought, is a consequence of the storm inter interacting with smaller storms around it. Philip Marcus, a professor of fluid dynamics at the University of California in Berkeley, believes the storm could exist almost indefinitely. At a press conference last week, Marcus is quoted as saying, I think that unless something somewhat cataclysmic happens on Jupiter, it will last for the indefinite future, until the jet streams change, so I would say likely centuries. He then added, Of course I probably just gave it the kiss of death, and it will probably fall apart next week, but that's the way science works. I say, the spot is dead. Long live the spot. Once again, this episode's trivia question comes from my book, The Daily Astronomical and Space Quizbook. Available on Amazon, you can buy it from my author page in the UK by going to tinyurl.com forward slash rjbamazon UK. You can also buy it in the US by going to my author page at tinyurl.com forward slash rjbamazon US. So here's this episode's question. On December 7, 1995, Galileo spacecraft dropped a probe into the atmosphere of Jupiter. How long did it survive before contact was lost? Was it A. 57 minutes B. An hour and 10 minutes C. An hour and 48 minutes D. 2 hours and 3 minutes As always, you'll hear some pretty music for a moment and then I'll come back with the answer. Welcome back. The answer to the trivia question is A. 57 minutes. 
After entering the atmosphere at a speed of almost 30 miles per second, it returned data showing the atmosphere to be much denser and hotter than expected. That's it for another episode. As always, if you liked it, and I hope you did, please subscribe and tell your friends. You can find Stars and Stuff on the iHeartRadio app, Spotify, Apple and Google, among others, or by going to tinyurl.com forward slash snspod. That's tinyurl.com forward slash snspod. Again, if you're interested in my books, you can find them at tinyurl.com forward slash rjbamazon-us in the US and tinyurl.com forward slash rjbamazon-uk in the UK. You're also welcome to email me at astronomywriter at gmail.com with any comments or questions you might have. Thanks for listening, and until we talk again, clear skies to you.